Welcome to the Voices of War, a podcast with a simple vision, to bring to life the true costs of war through the voices of those who've lived it. I'm your host, Maz, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Well, here we are. It's the 13th of December, and I've decided that it's time to take a short break from this incredible journey. The show will return on the 21st of February next year, with a number of new initiatives that I'll mention shortly. But before I get to that, allow me a few moments to reflect on the year that's been. Firstly, let me remind you of what has motivated this podcast. As someone whose life has been intimately shaped by war and conflict, I sought to find an avenue where I could seek answers for the many questions I had about how we could find ourselves in positions where the value of life seems so low, about our obligations for those innocently caught in the middle, and the seemingly all too simple explanations that there is an easy right and wrong in such complicated situations. Having experienced the fear and anxiety of war, firstly as a 10-year-old child during the siege of Sarajevo in 1992, the need to understand the obvious senselessness of such violence was already then infused into the core of my being. Even then, I was perplexed by the seemingly simple reasons why neighbours were killing each other. Religion, ethnicity, surname. Apparently, these inventions of our cultural ingenuity are reason enough to exterminate entire social groups. This confused me. All were seemingly eager to fight for and protect their people. Well, later as a refugee, migrant, non-religious child from an ethnically mixed background, who were my people? Where did I belong? A few years into my quest to answer this question, and having migrated to Australia, I ultimately joined the army. One reason was out of a sense of duty to help those who couldn't help themselves, much like I was helped by uniformed strangers back in Bosnia. The other reason, as I've later come to understand, was to find my people. The army didn't care about my background. It didn't care what language I spoke or what religion I did or did not have. It gave me an identity I could embrace. It is an organisation where one's background, ethnicity, skin colour become replaced by the uniform, where rules and norms of the group are clearly understood and once learnt, feel safe. Hell, the army even stopped butchering my name and gave me a new one. Maz. Unsurprisingly, I came to identify with it, and it stuck, since my joining all the way back in 2004. In the following decade, with my hunger for belonging and identity finally satiated, I could start wrestling with more practical questions on war. During my time, I was fortunate to deploy to Afghanistan and Timor-Leste, where I again saw the scars that war leaves behind. More importantly, I once again saw how simply we explained both conflicts, except now I was an active participant. This was particularly so in the case of Afghanistan. Those who shot at us were the bad guys, and those that waved were the good ones. How simple and how wrong this ultimately proved to be. After a decade in uniform, and after meeting Essen during our deployment to Timor-Leste, we embarked on an adventure to Bosnia to set up the nation's first CrossFit gym, CrossFit Sarajevo. Our vision was to use this sport, known globally for its enthusiastic members, to create in Sarajevo a multinational and multi-ethnic community that would, together, carry out small-scale humanitarian projects. We hoped that by doing this, the club could become a beacon of optimism and positivity 
in a city and a country still plagued by narratives of hate and division. We were blown away by the passion and drive behind the club's members, who ultimately led initiatives helping the most vulnerable in the Bosnian community, children with autism, cancer, and those growing up in orphanages. Importantly, the club was multi-ethnic and multinational and promoted an image of unity that flew directly into the face of prevailing narratives. It was possible, it seems, to swim against the current. After nearly three years in Sarajevo, and inspired by the project's success, Essen and I moved to Sweden, where I wanted to study causes of both war and peace. And so, I invested two years to delve into the fields of conflict resolution, as well as communication at the University of Gothenburg. After graduation, I went to Iraq to work as a development consultant, where I again saw the devastation of war, but also the confusion of post-violent conflict recovery. While undoubtedly fueled by good intentions, many of our development initiatives are also guarded by simple and narrow understandings of root causes. Hence, as we've come to witness time and time again, most of these projects are destined to fail at best or create further problems at worst. Eight months later, I was lucky to be invited back to the University of Gothenburg, but this time to lecture on interpersonal and intercultural communication. Using various theories of communication as the vehicle, I now had the time and space to dig deeper into our seeming inability to build common views of the world. Better still, I had the opportunity to explore and discuss such issues with students from all around the world, all studying for an international master's degree in communication. Soon, it became crystal clear to me that the place you observe from will deeply affect what you see. In other words, if you can help the observer see more clearly, you can change what is observed. And perhaps more importantly, if you can help them understand and see that their perspective is not the only one to exist, but rather that it exists within a myriad of other perspectives that are just as valid, you might make apparent a new path towards possible win-win scenarios. A year later, Essen and I decided to return to Australia, where I ultimately rejoined the army and where I've been again given the chance to facilitate lessons on interpersonal and intercultural communication, and where I've been managing the revision and update of military doctrine. It was here that the rubber met the road, as far as this podcast is concerned. I realised that my experiences have given me a few different perspectives of war that combined have removed its seeming simplicity and inevitability. I've now seen war from the eyes of a child, a refugee, a migrant, a soldier, a development worker, and a student. Although I now had even more questions than before, I also realised that my position was one of great privilege. I've realised that most people I've come across in my professional and private endeavours have not had the luxury of such broad exposure. Most, if at all, have seen war through only a single lens, and therefore never got the opportunity to explore its wide-ranging impacts. It is this realization that gave birth to this podcast, The Voices of War, which is guided by a simple vision to bring to life the true costs of war through the voices of those who have lived it. By speaking to diverse guests, be they survivors, perpetrators, healers, or researchers of war, I want to add color to the otherwise black and white narratives of conflict we are exposed to in our day-to-day lives. I want to shed light onto the fact that war as well as the journey to peace, are far more complicated and complex than they might seem. I see the podcast as a vehicle to bring this reality to a diverse audience, some of whom might be in positions of power and influence 
and whose views might, ever so slightly, be impacted by the voices and views of my guests. It might be a naive hope, but if enough people hear these voices of war, just like with CrossFit Sarajevo, we might be able to show that a different path is possible. Now, only 10 months since the release of the first episode in February this year, I couldn't be more proud of where we are. 39 episodes and 39 amazing guests later, the show reached a number of major milestones. Just recently, we sailed through 25,000 unique downloads, which is an incredible figure for a show this young. The engagement levels of our listeners have punched the show into the top 3% of podcasts globally, which is again an incredible feat and one I'm incredibly grateful for. So far, the show has been listened to in more than 100 countries around the world, which is completely unbelievable to me. Although most of the show's listeners come from Australia, the UK and the US, I was amazed to find out that it enjoys a presence in places like Mozambique, Sri Lanka, Bahrain, Congo, Lithuania, Somalia, Iran, China and Azerbaijan, to name just a few. The reach of modern technology is simply incredible. The show has also gained the attention of some senior officers in the Australian Defence Force and we have now published a number of episodes on the Australian Army's professional military education site, The Cove, and we have agreed to do more in the future. I'm truly humbled by this fact. So, what I have found over the 39 episodes is that, completely inadvertently, a number of themes have emerged. These have taken shape as the show grew along its naturally evolving trajectory. As a result, I have now started grouping episodes along these themes on YouTube, and we'll look to publish them in the same groupings on The Cove. Firstly, there is the macro-level theme of geopolitics, where I've sought to unpack war and its causes with guests with oftentimes decades of experience in the international relations arena. Here, I'm referring to guests like Michael Vatiotikis, the Asia Director for the Centre for Humanitarian Dialogue, who provided incredible insights into the machinations of Southeast Asia and its unfolding role in the ongoing contestation between the US and China. Touching on the same topic, I also spoke with John Blacksland and Chindu Zhu, both eminent security analysts with whom I explored global tensions, the recent AUKUS partnership, US-China relations, and Australia's role in the region. I also spoke with Ghassan Jawad Kadim, a prominent figure in Iraqi politics about his country and the region more broadly. A little earlier in the year, I had the pleasure of speaking with Hassan Aigun, a diplomat with incredible global experience living in and negotiating some of our era's most prominent wars. This is also the man who enjoyed private audiences with the likes of Saddam Hussein and Muammar Gaddafi. Then there is my chat with Major General Roger Noble, who has played a critical role in Australian commitments to the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, and who shared some no-holds-barred lessons to be learned from these engagements. A closely related episode was my first chat with John Blacksland, who, as a previous senior officer in the Australian Army, provided insightful reflections on our military operations and lessons to be learned. There's also my chat with Adam Cooper, another leader from the Centre of Humanitarian Dialogue, who helped me understand what fuels conflict, as well as the role social media and technology plays in its maintenance and potential resolution. Closely tied with this topic was my chat with Stephanie Speck, a strategic communicator who has used her skills to help stem war around the world and who has worked for presidents and prime ministers of war-torn nations, helping create the conditions for the return of peace. Her views and lessons should be understood far and wide. 
Then there are episodes that could just as easily have fallen into the theme of geopolitics. But due to their immediate relevance, I've grouped them under the heading of Afghanistan. Here, I'm referring to my multiple chats with Dr. Mike Martin, an expert on the region and the author of An Intimate War, a globally recognized authoritative account of the complexities of this 20-year campaign, as well as my chat with Dr. Christopher Ankerson, a leading U.S. thinker on the war in Afghanistan. I also published my conversation with Hezbollah Khan, an Afghan journalist and security analyst still living in Kabul, to provide the much-needed local perspective. Sitting in the same theme, I also spoke with Toby Harnden, whose recent book, First Casualty, details the circumstances surrounding the US decision to go to Afghanistan, as well as the first days of the war as seen through the eyes of Team Alpha, the first US boots on the ground. Then there are the deeply personal stories, such as the one with Sahar Fetrat, a young Afghan woman who was only days ago voted as one of BBC's 100 inspiring and influential women from around the world for 2021. She shared her very moving story and shed some much-needed light on the plight of women and girls in Afghanistan. There's also my chat with Ehsan, a former interpreter for the Australian forces in Afghanistan, who talked about the experience of contractors and locally employed staff. Giving him more depth and nuance to the realities of Afghanistan was my conversation with the much-celebrated Australian photographer and investigative journalist Andrew Quilty. He spoke about the life of journalists in a war zone, and detailed the dangers that go along with telling these important stories. Last but not least, there's also my chat with Dr. Kay Danes, a prominent voice in the representation of those who worked for Australian forces in Afghanistan. Collectively, these episodes seem to have struck a chord with my audience, and I received a lot of comments and gratitude for sharing these voices with the world. Now, if this is true for the Afghanistan-related episodes, then it's even more so for those episodes that sought to shed light on the horrors of PTSD and trauma those who have spent time in conflict areas have had to contend with. There is, of course, one of my most popular episodes with Tom and Jane Satterley, who together head up the All Secure Foundation in the US. Tom is a retired command sergeant major of Delta Force, who is one of the characters depicted in the movie Black Hawk Down, who was present during Saddam's capture, and was literally in thousands of combat missions over his 25 years in the army. Jane was an award-winning filmmaker, and together they have started an organisation that seeks to heal not only veterans, but also their spouses from the traumas of service. Then there is my chat with Steve Dennis, a Canadian who was shot and kidnapped in Africa, and who later shed light on the dangers and lack of support for humanitarian aid workers by winning a landmark legal case against his former employer. Of course, There's also my chat with author Will Yates and former British soldier Joe McCleary, who was the first Brit to be tried for war crimes. To understand the pain and suffering experienced by a very young and vulnerable Joe back in the mid-2000s, you need to hear his story. There really are no easy answers in war. Going even deeper on this subject, I spoke with the former head of the Australian Army psychologists, Pip Wheeland. She provided incredible insights into what our veterans go through and explain the journey through trauma into recovery. Putting this story into context was the chat with my close friend and classmate, Ashley Judd. Juddy, as he is known by his peers, deployed to Afghanistan where he was exposed to events causing severe trauma and ultimately PTSD. However, reflective of his sense of duty and his unique leadership abilities, he chose the very difficult and lonely path of speaking publicly about his experiences. Through this, 
he was not only better able to deal with his own trauma, but became a spokesperson for the thousands of others who continue to suffer in silence. Closely related are a number of episodes where my hope was to personalise war and bring its horrors closer to the audience. My intention is never to make a spectacle of the suffering of others. Rather, I want my audience to become emotionally involved with my guests as a way to add colour to the otherwise black and white narratives of conflict and war that we see and hear in the media. To do this, I spoke with individuals who have profound personal experiences of war, be that Harry Moffat, a veteran of the Australian SAS, who spoke candidly about his journey through combat zones and lessons he garnered from these. This is also one of the most moving episodes for me personally, my chat with Jemil Hodgic, who, as a child, experienced the trauma of life in a besieged Sarajevo, my own city of birth, and the horrific murder of his older brother. Jemil details not only this traumatic event, but also how he turned his trauma into a project full of hope and gratitude. Then there is my chat with Paul Marshall, a former British Army officer and military attaché, about recovery from conflict, enduring scars of war, and the need to understand the local perspective. There's also my chat with Tomislav Tsutanusic, a prominent public figure in Bosnia who turned his experiences of war into a lifelong mission to help and inspire others, as well as conquer himself by becoming an extreme athlete, alpinist and marathon runner. There's also the story of Brendan Cox, a former Australian Army officer who was in fact the commanding officer of the unit a young Lieutenant Maslik posted to all the way back in 2008. We talked about his journey of service as well as his latest endeavour heading up Legacy, an organisation that looks after veterans and their families. Then, of course, there's the show's first episode, and arguably the one that set its tone and direction. This was my chat with now-Lieutenant Colonel Dayan Mikanovic, the only other Australian Army officer I know with whom I share the same Bosnian roots. I can't overstate the importance of this episode in both giving me the courage to take this project forward, but also in confirming in my own mind the importance of giving my guests the time and space to tell their stories. Dayan spoke candidly about his flight from a war-torn Bosnia, the loss of his father, why he joined the army, and the mission that inspires him. I met Dayan all the way back in 2007, while we were both cadets at the Royal Military College Duntroon, and to see someone of his background and experiences advance the ranks of the Australian Army in the way he's doing makes me proud of my own heritage and gives me great hope for the future. Stepping outside of the personal, into the theoretical and even academic, I found an entire theme emerging that, broadly speaking, deals with the philosophy of war. There was my recent conversation with Professor Samuel Moyne about his latest book about how we've entered an era of forever war, driven by our wish to make war ever more humane. Then there was my chat with Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grosman, the author of On Killing, a book most of my audience would at least have heard of if not read. We talked about blind spots, desensitization, and tools to help maintain our moral compass. This discussion built on a previous conversation with Professor David Livingston-Smith, the man who brought research of dehumanization into our collective consciousness. I also explored the ethics of war at the individual level with Professor Shannon E. French, author of the excellent book, The Code of the Warrior. Closely aligned with this was my insightful conversation with Professor Keanu Driscoll, where we talked about the nuances of our much-beloved just war theory and how we define victory. Flipping all of this on its head was my chat with Dr. Mike Wessels, the author of Child Soldiers, 
a book that has brought this extraordinarily horrible phenomenon that defines any rules of war into global discourse. The next guest I want to mention is Greg Caruso, whose ideas straddle two themes. He is a philosopher who credibly challenges our ideas of free will. Not only does this relate to the reasons why we fight wars, but it also stresses the need to understand the impact of the environment on how we fight them. If we accept that free will is an illusion, which in my view it is, then we ought to invest much more time in understanding these forces that shape our behaviour. Although not wrestling with the philosophy of free will or war, the impact of the environment and culture, the final theme that has emerged, also underpinned my chat with my good friend and former colleague, Adian Berdurin. We defined culture and explored how universalism and relativism contribute to conflict, as well as how we can bridge cultural gaps. Taking this into neuroscience, the hard ones and zeros in our brain, I had the great pleasure of speaking with Dr. Douglas Fields, whose research serves as a critical way to understand how violence emerges. Not only are we programmed and wired for it, but there are nine specific triggers that will activate it. Doug captures these in the useful mnemonic, Life Morts, that I encourage you to become familiar with. Now, of course, all of these discussions have something in common. They all touch on different aspects of war and our relationship to it. But what's become apparent to me throughout the year is that war, just like peace, has its causes. Neither is inevitable, predetermined, or destined in any way. Both are a product of various forces that interplay at a given point in time. The same applies to our perceptions. These are also shaped by various forces, be they merely soundbites of information we hear in the media or deeply personal experiences, they all shape our opinion and orientations towards a conflict. Hence, if watching the news in Australia or the US, it is very easy to be anti-China. But one's relationship and view of China in, say, Vietnam or Cambodia are governed by very different forces. Thus, what has become really apparent to me over this year is that beauty, as the saying goes, or fear, hate, rage, or any other noun depicting an emotional state, truly is in the eye of the beholder. So I say again, if you can help the observer see more clearly, you can change what is observed. Looking forward into next year, I aim to explore how these different perspectives shape our worldview and behaviour to an even deeper level. I want to get a better sense of how our individual and collective circumstances dictate our relationship with the outside world. I want to understand the evolution of conflict as well as, hopefully, how we de-escalate tensions. To help me in this quest, I have already agreed on a number of episodes for 2022. Early in the year, I will be speaking with Andy Norman, who recently appeared on Joe Rogan's podcast, about how ideas literally can affect our minds and therefore govern our behaviour. I will also be speaking with Professor Robert Pape, whom I recently heard on Michael Morell's podcast, Intelligence Matters, about the rise in political violence and radicalization in the West. I also have a conversation planned with Professor Michelle Galfond, who teaches at Stanford University and is the author of the hugely important book, Rule Makers, Rule Breakers, How Tight and Loose Cultures Wire Our World. I also have interviews lined up with senior Australian Defence Force officers from the world of intelligence as well as the cyber domain. All of these will seek to better understand how information shapes our understanding of the world. I will, of course, continue the theme of philosophy of war and have already agreed to have a conversation with Dr. Dean Peter Baker, one of the most prominent military ethicists 
certainly in Western militaries. I will soon also be hosting Dr. David Wedham, who is a professor of military ethics at King's College London, and who was also an assistant inspector general to the Australian Defence Force, who helped during the final stages of the Afghanistan inquiry. Staying with this topic, I will also be interviewing Mark Willisey, the investigative journalist behind the explosive story about potential war crimes carried out by Australian soldiers in Afghanistan. He is also the author of Rogue Forces, a book that has caused much controversy both inside and outside of the Australian Defence Force. All of these conversations will seek to add colour and depth to our simple explanations of the causes of war, as well as our conduct in war. As I hope will become even more clear, there is a lot more here than merely meets the eye. Okay, so what else can you expect in 2022? Well, I will be doing a lot of planning and preparation over the upcoming break, but there are things like live shows in the pipeline, where I hope to bring a number of guests together in a panel-like setup to discuss specific issues. Members in the live audience will of course get the opportunity to ask their own questions. I'm also planning on shorter pods dealing with specific questions such as ethics of war as well as on psychological well-being. Importantly, I will also be launching a site to allow those who wish to support the show an opportunity to do so. Those who decide to join me on this journey will not only be helping make the show and its production possible, but will be invited to suggest peacemaking organisations and causes that I hope to be able to support and promote in the future. I will also be inviting organisations that promote peace and dialogue to sponsor the show. I'll release more details on this in the weeks and months to come, but any ideas or suggestions you have are welcome even now. The same applies if you have suggestions on topics or guests that you'd like to hear from on the show. So, please feel free to email me on info at thevoicesofwar.com with your thoughts and suggestions. I promise to reply to every email. Finally, before I wrap up for the year, there are a number of thanks I want to give. Firstly, I want to thank all of my guests. Not only have they entrusted me with their time, but also with the belief that I will treat their experiences and their unique knowledge with the respect they deserve. I have tried hard to uphold this trust. Some of my guests appeared on the show only once, a few have been here a few times, and many have agreed to come back in the future. I remain eternally grateful to every one of them. I also must thank the Australian Army and the many leaders within who have shown support for this podcast. What many don't know is that, as a serving uniformed officer, I've had to get my intention to create this podcast cleared through my chain of command. However, I also need to stress that I have been given no caveats or restrictions on topics I can discuss or guests I can host. This has allowed me to cast the net wide, as well as to tackle some really difficult questions faced by militaries around the world. I'm very grateful for this opportunity and the trust it implies. I also need to thank my current boss, who shall remain anonymous, but who has afforded me a lot of trust in managing my own time and workload. This flexibility has allowed me to juggle my professional commitments with the sometimes unpredictable schedule of a podcast host. Okay, now to you, our subscribers and listeners. This show exists for you, and my goal has always been and will remain to give colour to the black and white perspectives of war that exist in day-to-day life. I want to give voice to experiences that some of you might recognise and be deeply and personally connected with, and some of you might never have considered. I seek diverse guests 
to represent the many faces of war, which I know also represents the diversity of our listeners. Thank you for trusting me with your time. Giving me and this podcast even a minute of this most valuable commodity is a gift I don't take lightly. I will keep trying to make it worth your while. And finally, I want to thank my life partner and biggest supporter of the podcast, Essen. This podcast would literally have been impossible without her. Not only has she been accepting of the weird times I record, usually early in the morning or late in the evening, but she was happy to morph our lives and the life of our nearly 20-month-old baby girl Lara around the demands of the show. Importantly, she's also my most important sounding board and counsel when it comes to preparing for interviews and drafting questions. Although I host the Voices of War, this podcast is as much as hers as it is mine. Thank you, my love. Okay, I think I'll leave it there for 2021. It's been an amazing year, and I wish you all the best for the festive season in 2022. Speak to you again in February. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Voices of War. You can access all episodes on www.thevoicesofwar.com or by subscribing wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And while you're there, please give us a review as we'd love to hear what you think. If you'd like to recommend a guest for the show, you can reach me on info at thevoicesofwar.com.